It was like another planet, man. Like an alien world. The trees were way too big. It's all gray and foggy and rainy all the time and it's isolated. In the middle of nowhere. The longest taxi ride I ever took. Like an hour out of town and into the woods. Down this tiny road that says private. Keep out. Then suddenly it opens up and I'm looking at a wall and a gate. And on one side is a man with the wolf head. And on the other side this guy with horns. And to me at the time he looks like the fucking devil dude. The devil was outside the gate? What? What was that? They were just statues, but in my mind, 15-year-old me just coming out of the forest, for a split second, I'm like, oh shit, it's a wolfman and the actual devil. What actually were they statues of then? I think like Greek gods or Roman or Egyptian or something. My uncle was a professor. He had statues and shit like that everywhere. But that was my first view of his place, and I'm like, wolfman, Satan, middle of nowhere. Cool, I guess this is where I live now. From Folk Process, we are Keeping the Bones, the podcast that reimagines and remixes classic weird tales and horror fiction into stories set today. I am your host, Jesse Keller. If you're enjoying our show, please follow and subscribe wherever you're listening to this and help get the word out by sharing however you can. All right, on with the show. Our inspiration for today's episode is Lost Hearts by M.R. James. Stephen had a tough childhood. His dad wasn't in the picture, and his mom, who struggled with addiction, was only around sporadically. He lived with his grandmother until she passed away when he was nine. Then he bounced around through foster care, group homes, sometimes living on the street. A lot of the times... It was easier to be out on the street with the homies than it was to go back to some of those places with those random ass adults I didn't know. And I mean, don't get me wrong, the streets had some fucked up shit too. So I'd go back, run away, then go back and run away again. Yeah. And at some point during that time, you found out that you had this uncle? Yeah, we were midway through one of my cycles. Um, I was waiting to get placed with the new foster family for the third time because I just have a hard time being wanted, I guess. And my caseworker comes in and she told me she had some bad news and some good news. Can you tell me around when that would have been? What year? I was 15, so 2002. Okay, so what was the the news that she had for you? Well, I was like, thank God she didn't do the whole thing. Well, which one do you want first? Because I've had I've had other families do that to me before. And it's like, You know, if you're going to say you don't want me to say that. So it really meant a lot to me that she just hit me with it. Like, be straight with me, you know. And so the bad news was that they found my dad and and he's dead. How do you feel about that? To be honest with you, I, I didn't really give a damn. I mean, I didn't even know him. He was just some dude, you know. Okay. And what was the good news? So it turns out my dad had a brother, a man I've never heard of in my whole life. Some guy named Uncle Abney. And uh, when they told my uncle that my dad had a son, he, he said he wanted to adopt me. So that's how Stephen ended up leaving Southern California and flying to Eureka in the far north of the state and taking that long cab ride out into the ancient redwood forests outside of town. So the taxi pulls up and they buzz us in and 
I've never seen a gate like that that I didn't have to hop over before, you know what I mean? And there's this huge old mansion in the middle of a giant yard with the wall around it, like a wall that me and my buddies could never hope to climb. And all around the yard, there's giant moldy tree stumps like 20 feet across. I found out that my dad was loaded, like my whole, my dad's whole family was loaded. And they had this massive logging business that was started by some old guy in the family line way back when. And they lived in this house for like over a hundred years. But now it was just my uncle Abney and I guess his housekeeper made this lady, Anna. She cooked, cleaned, all that and lived out there with my uncle. So Anna answers the door and my cab drives off. So I'm like, I guess I'm here. I just remember how quiet it was. It, it was nothing like living in the city with the cars and the people. It was dead quiet like I never knew before. Um, Anna, she goes to go get my uncle so I can meet him for the first time and figure out why the hell he even wants me. Anna brought Stephen into the library. This was the sort of house that had a library. And there, sitting in a chair by the fire, was Stephen's uncle Abney. He was like an older guy, had a big beard, crazy hair. He was like the guys we used to bully on the street, me and my friends way back when. Um, he was a little awkward. He didn't really know how to talk to me. I don't know if it was a generational gap or what. But overall, he was he was cool, man. Like, he didn't creep me out, uh, which I was definitely on the lookout for. He basically just told me, welcome, you know. And I remember him asking me over and over again how old I was. He asked me like three times at least. And I told him, I'm, I'm 15, I'm going to turn 16 in September. I remember repeating it like that. Besides that, he was he was pretty cool. He, he wasn't like too bossy or anything. It was a nice change of pace. It didn't make me want to, you know, leave right away. After Stephen met his uncle, Anna led him to the second floor, then down a long hallway, past doors and unused rooms. His bedroom was in the very back with a window looking out over the lawn and the redwood forest beyond the wall. I'm going to be honest with you, it creeped me the fuck out, like, for real. There was a dozen rooms when usually I'm not even used to having my own room half the time, and only three of us living there, you know? Um, and I was way in the back of the house, like, all alone in this giant-ass house. Stephen's uncle didn't enroll him in school. He let Stephen know he planned to homeschool him with Anna's help. As a retired professor, Abney took a real interest in Stephen's education. The man was really big on Greek history and stuff like that, because that was that was his focus, you know, his area of expertise. Uh, he had all kinds of cool shit around, like the statues, for one, although they creeped me the fuck out back then. Uh, they had old coins, books, this old Roman knife he let me hold. I, I almost cut myself. Um, but I liked the stories he used to tell me, all the myths and legends and stuff. He, he was good at that. Do you remember any of the stories, like the the, the names, the gods, that, that sort of thing? Aw, oh, man, Zeus, bro. Zeus was a pimp, first of all. Hermes, the dude with the wings on his shoes, and Dionysus, the party dude. Um, but I don't remember that much about it now. I mean, he always kept talking about mysteries and all kinds of shit like that. And it was a long time before I realized he wasn't talking about, like, murder mysteries. He was talking about old religion, man. Like mysteries like dudes in hoods and cults and shit like that. Stephen settled into the new routine. When Uncle Abney wasn't teaching him a Greek and Roman heavy version of homeschool, he explored the house, the grounds, and the forest beyond the wall, and sometimes accompanied Anna into town for a shopping trip or to catch a movie. 
I'm not gonna lie, I played a shit ton of video games, but uh, that that housekeeper lady Anna and I, we also hung out a whole lot. We were kind of getting tight a little bit for for a minute there, and uh, I don't know where she was from, but she had this accent, uh, maybe like French or something like that, but I don't really remember. But I do remember just hanging with her and Uncle Abney out there. It was super different from anything I've ever experienced before, you know? I felt safe for like the first time in a long time until I started having all those fucked up dreams. When, when did you start having, like how long after you got there did you start having the dreams? It was probably after like a month. I, I dreamed I was in the hall outside my room. A couple doors down there was this bathroom which was not like a functioning bathroom. The door was always locked. Uh, in in it was locked in your dream or is locked in real life? Both in my dream and in real life. I I was dreaming about the real bathroom, and the door had a window in it which would have had a curtain, except it wasn't used, so you could see right into the bathroom. You know, toilet, bathtub, all that stuff. And in my dream, I'm looking at it, but there was someone in there sitting in it facing me there was someone sitting sitting in the bathtub in your dream yes yeah, someone i didn't know sitting in it looking at me and, and what did they look like they, they look super thin like like dead person thin you know and it's just this thin cold crinkly looking mummified person with teeth there was no lips it was just gums and they somehow still had a grin it was it was disgusting and as soon as I start getting a good look at it, it, it fucking moved. And it turned its head at me, and I heard it go... <laughs> and I'm practically shitting myself, dude. And I realized, like, I'm all of a sudden awake, and I'm not dreaming. And, like, it's like I woke up right there, standing up. In your room? No, dude. I was right there in the hall. Right there by that door to the bathroom. But now... I'm awake instead of in the dream, you know? And somehow, I don't know, because current me would just run back into the room and put a fucking chair under the door, but somehow I forced myself to go back and look in the window. And what was in there? Nothing. Nothing. Empty bathroom. Nobody in the tub. I I guess I sleepwalked there, and I just dreamt it. I... The next morning, as he was doing his lessons, Stephen told his uncle Abney about the dream. He seemed actually really interested in what I had to say. He he pulled out his tape recorder and he asked me to repeat everything, every detail that happened in my dream. He had one of those old school tape recorder note to self things that he would talk into like all the time. I think he said he was working on a book or a research project. Hmm. This one time I overheard him as he was making a note. I don't think he knew I was there and he said something about the other boy during his stay and that's all I heard. I mentioned it to Anna as we were hanging out later, and she's like, oh, yeah, your uncle's so nice. He took in kids a few times before, and, you know, you can only imagine how that made me feel. Anna told Stephen that Abney had taken in other homeless teenagers twice during her time working for him. There was a girl who had been hitchhiking in Eureka. She showed up around the time Anna was hired, a decade before Stephen had arrived. Anna didn't remember much about the girl, who only had stayed a couple of weeks before moving on. Did she say anything about where the girl went? Nah, she she only said, oh, we woke up one morning and she was gone. I think she said Mr. Abney had filed a police report, but the cops were just like, 
thanks, we'll keep an eye out. And that was about it. Then several years later, an employee of Abney's logging company had died in an accident. The employee was an undocumented man from Honduras, and he had a son who lived with him. The boy had no other family in the States, so Abney, Anna said, felt a sense of responsibility and let the undocumented boy move into the house. Yeah, Anna said that the kid stayed for a little bit, but then split after a couple months. Probably went back to his family in Honduras, that's, that's what she told me at least. And she also told me, I hope you stay longer than them because she, she likes the company. Tell me about the Equinox. I know that that was uh, an important part of the story, too. The Equinox, yeah. Uh, it was in the spring after I showed up there. I, I didn't know what an Equinox was, but my uncle was super excited about it. He kept talking about springtime and the Equinox and about how it's a time for rebirth and that it was very important for the mysteries he would always tell me about. That was all he talked about in my homeschooling. During that time, it was all just mysteries, rites of passage, the equinox, you know. He, he really wanted me to experience it for myself so I could know what the Greeks felt back then, I guess. Um, so he had me do what the Greeks did. He, he had me fast for three days. Wow, three days of fasting. That's a lot. D- during the daytime. No food whatsoever, only water from morning till sunset. It fucking sucked. Then after sunset, he gave me a little wine. You had wine. Your your uncle was giving you wine when you were 15. I mean, it's not like I never got drunk before. I, I'd been around, but it was definitely weird. Um, and then he had a whole list that he showed me of foods I couldn't eat. No meat, no chicken, only certain kinds of fish. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> yeah, and it was around that time that my dreams got worse. But in the daytime, I, I couldn't seem to remember anything. But I also remember that I couldn't sleep the night before. And it was like a cycle of waking up covered in sweat, just completely terrified, but having no idea why. Anna did all the laundry for everybody, and one day, she came to me and she was like, What happened to your pajama shirt? I'm like, what are you talking about? It had all these tears in the front, like, all over the left side, and it looked like there was claw marks all over the shirt. Like, I got mauled by a wild animal out there in the forest. I I can't remember how that happened. And it was right after that, on that same day, that I heard that shit in the basement. Abney's house had a huge basement full of boxes, crates, a wine cellar, stacks of old books that wouldn't fit in the library. Abney made it very clear that Stephen wasn't allowed down there. So I go down there and it's creepy as fuck. Dusty, all kinds of weird stuff. I'm just like looking around, exploring, and I'm way in the back, and I hear this scritch, scritch, scritch coming from an old chest, a trunk way in the back. I thought maybe there was rats in it, and then I hear a pshh, and I'm like, what the fuck? And I go closer, and I put my ear by the trunk, and I hear and I'm like, what the fuck? And I jump back. It was whispering. I swear, like a real human voice whispering. And I could almost make out words. So of course I shit myself and run out to Anna. And what did she say? She just laughed, like, whispering rats, huh? She said it was probably the wind, and also, why was I in the basement anyway? Which, like, fair point, I guess. The Vernal Equinox was on March 20th, 2002. It was a Wednesday, but that morning, 
Anna had told Stephen that Abney had said he was very busy and that there would be no homeschooling that day. Yeah, so I was just going for a walk outside the wall. It was windy and there's like branches and leaves all over the fucking place. And I remember thinking they look like people being blown through the air trying to grab onto something. And then boom, Anna comes out and calls me into the house and she's all like, your uncle wants to talk. So I go into the library and he's like, Steven, there's something we need to talk about, about your future. And I'm like, oh shit, here we go again. He got sick of me and he's going to send me away. Another God knows how long in a home or on the street. Abney didn't tell Stephen exactly what it was, but he said that the next day was a very important deadline. There was some important task he and Stephen needed to complete by the end of the day. But Abney said he was very busy and had to work all day, so he asked Stephen to come back to the library at 11 that night. Yeah, I for sure thought it was kind of weird. He usually went to bed early, and I'm like, why do we got to wait till 11? And uh, I don't know. It's whatever. I said, sure, because what else am I going to say? I remember very specifically, he was like, don't tell Anna. Just come up at 11 and we'll get everything taken care of. I'm like, cool, I guess. Anna cooked them dinner. Abney ate in the library, working, while Stephen and Anna ate together as usual. They watched some TV before saying goodnight and heading to their rooms. Yeah, so we were hanging out. We, we watched a few episodes of Frasier and then headed up. On my way to the room, I passed the library and the door was cracked. And I could see Uncle Abney had a fire in the fireplace. And he had like this bowl with, with legs, like a metal bowl with coals from the fireplace in it. And there was this old silver cup on the table with wine in it. Uh, there was papers all over the place and books and, and my uncle was by that bowl with the legs throwing something on the coals, like incense that smelled weird, something I never smelled before. He didn't notice me peeping through, so I just passed right by him and went upstairs. Stephen went to his room and watched TV, waiting for the appointed time. Eventually, the wind outside had died down. I'm pretty sure I was watching some kind of scary movie, but I was already feeling pretty scared. And then I heard a sound like like a high crying sound. And it wasn't like something related to wildlife. It was like a really high pitched crying sound. So I paused whatever I was watching and then I heard it again, like another high pitched noise. And it was really starting to freak me the fuck out. So I go to my window because that's where I think I'm hearing it from. And right outside... I see two kids. There were two kids out there? Yeah, a girl and a boy, and it's a full moon. I could see them clearly. Just outside the gate, looking right up at my window. And the girl has long hair, and she's really thin and bony. Just like that thing in the bathtub from my dream. Lips pulled back, I can see her teeth. <sighs> Can't forget those teeth. Grinning up at me. And she's doing the same gesture with both hands over her heart. And the boy next to her, he reaches his hands up into the air and I could see he's got these long fingernails, like three, four inches at least. On his left side, there was a big black hole in his body. It's empty space. And he opens his mouth really wide and I hear that high cry scream again. But this time... It wasn't like I heard the sound, it was like 
like I felt it, like it went straight to my brain, bypassed my ears entirely. And before I knew it, the kids turned and ran back into the forest, and I'm just frozen there by the window. And then I look back at the clock in my room, and it goes from 10.59 to 11. You you woke up in your bed and were looking at the clock? Man, I, I don't know if I woke up or I was awake or asleep. I, I don't know. It didn't seem like a dream, and I didn't feel like I woke up. But anyway, my uncle said 11 p.m., and I definitely don't feel like being in that room by that window, you know, so I I go downstairs. Stephen ran to the library and pushed on the door, but it wouldn't open. He knocked, no answer. But he could hear his uncle Abney talking as though he were talking to someone in the room. Yeah, and he sounded just as fucking freaked out as I was. He's talking, I can't make it out, and then he screams. Just screams bloody murder, man. For whatever reason, the door finally comes unstuck and I go inside. And there he is in the chair, back to me, not moving. Just still. When the police came, they took everything in the room as evidence, including Abney's notes, the wine glass, the incense the brazier full of coals, and a Roman knife that was on the table. They also took his little tape recorder. They questioned Stephen and Anna, but let them go. Stephen spent another few years in the system before aging out. He's had his ups and downs, but now works as a social worker and is an aspiring painter. Through the Freedom of Information Act, I managed to get a copy of Abney's tape recordings. Stephen had never heard them. Uh, So do you want to listen to it? Yeah, let's do it. We modern people may find it barbaric, but in the classic era, they knew things we've lost. Certain mystery cults had methods which I believe are grounded in science, which enable a person to absorb another being's life force. And this can grant a type of power that is recorded in the classics. But since the practice has ended has not been seen since. The Bible says Simon Magus was able to fly through the air, become invisible, assume any shape he could imagine through the use of the soul of a boy, whom the authors of the Clementine Recognitions ridiculously say Simon murdered. Murdered. How could this peasant child's soul be more used to himself than to the great Simon Magus? In Hermes Trismegistus, we find some specific details. He writes that what are needed are the hearts of no less than three youths, none beyond the age of Aphabia, which Aristotle puts at 17 or 18 years, and Livy sets at 16. A power gained in this manner can transcend even death itself. Based on my synthesis of all extant sources, The best method seems to be to remove the heart from a living subject, reduce it to ash, and, as in Trismegistus, mix with falernum wine to consume. I think a good tawny port will work just as well. Testing this material has been my life's work. It's taken 20 years. 
I've had to be so cautious and use only subjects who would not be missed were they to disappear. I'm getting older and more desperate. But this boy Stephen has fallen into my lap. I can't believe my luck. Exactly the type who would run away and disappear. My brother ended up being useful for something in the end. The physical remains of the subjects have been well concealed, but their psychic remains cause me some annoyance. Though these are certainly too weak to cause any material effect, so I have nothing to fear. The equinox approaches. March 20th shall be the day. Holy shit. It's funny, because that house, I thought it was the safest I'd ever been growing up. I guess he was wrong, too, about that last one, at least. What was he wrong about? The, the psychic remains weren't as weak as he thought. Could you actually describe what you saw? Like, what happened to Abney? What, what, what did you see when you actually walked into the library? Well, there was blood everywhere, all over his body. Not on his hands or the knife, but all over him and the floor. His left side was torn wide open, had a huge hole, and I could actually see his heart. I watched it squeeze out one last time and then stop for good. Thank you for listening to Keeping the Bones. If you enjoyed this episode, please do hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you're listening. It also really helps us reach new listeners if you give us a good rating and review. And if you really want to help us make more stories, the absolute best way to do that is to head over to patreon.com slash keeping the bones and kick in whatever you can. You can also follow us on all the usual social media places. Just search for Keeping the Bones or check out our website. Today's episode was inspired by the short story Lost Hearts by M.R. James. It was produced and narrated by me, Jesse Keller, with huge production help from Abby Watt. The other voices you heard were Nate Ferguson and George Yeh. Our music is by Son of Lone Cat, and the original show art for Lost Hearts, which I absolutely love, is by Dane Ashenhurst. If you haven't seen it, there are several images and you have to check them out. We have some great merch designs with Dane's art on it, and you can find links to that and to more of Dane's art in the show notes and at keepingthebones.com. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thank you.